0: One today. So good to see all the smiling faces. If you are visiting, you're a special guest. Reminder, there's a connection card in front of you. We'd love to hear from you and get to know you a little more. A little bit about our church. We are a place where you can belong, believe, and become. And we really believe that God has a special plan for each and every one of us. And if you haven't felt, this place really feels like family, and we are. Speaking of which, we got an exciting announcement to make in this envelope. Aaron and Michelle, if you'll come on up. Um, for those of you who don't know, Aaron and Michelle have been praying for a long time for a baby, and the Lord just granted them a miracle, and they're expecting. And let's see, I asked people to wear blue or pink. Let's see. I'm looking, I see some pink. If you haven't figured out, I wear blue, even blue socks. So, uh, And I, I don't know. And if the grandparents, great grandparents, I know we got at least two, if you guys want to stand, drum roll. And the names, if it's a boy, it's Leonard Fenton and Millie Elaine, if it's a girl. So, let's see what the big reveal is. Congratulations, it's a girl! <laughs> Millie, it's awesome. Congratulations. Everyone thought I knew because I wore blue. I didn't know I waited, so uh, we're excited. For those of you who have walked down, we redesigned our kids' wing, and for rightly so, it's overflowing like every week now with all these babies, so it's exciting. Um, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, if you'll turn there. And for those of you just joining us, uh, we typically go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and the reason for that is we believe God's Word is inspired And we want us to really get into it. So every week we picked up where we left off the week before. And we've been studying the book of Ephesians. And the series is called Becoming Who You Are. In chapter 1, we discovered or rediscovered that in Christ, there's so many blessings. In Christ, you are loved and you're accepted and you're adopted. And God has poured so many blessings upon us. We're very wealthy, spiritually speaking, in Christ. Chapter 2, it was kind of funny, uh, we started in Ephesians 2, and I was like, no one to leave for the first 15 minutes, because it's going to get a little hard, it talks about we were dead, but then Jesus met us, and he gave us new life. In this part of verse 11 in chapter 2, we're going to talk about the church, and I want to start off with a, a fun preacher joke, I don't tell many preacher jokes, at least I don't think I do, but um, there are three pastors who got together for coffee. And they were talking about problems in their church. And it just so happened in their particular churches, they all had the same problem. Bats were infesting the church. There were older congregations and they had bat problems. So the first pastor said, I just couldn't help myself. After everyone left the Sunday morning, the bats were circling around. So I got out my shotgun and I started firing. And I don't know what the deacons are going to say, but there's holes all in the church ceiling. But the bats are still there. Pastor number two said, well... I tried something a little bit different. I tried trapping the bats. And I got all the bats in the net. And they were flapping in my back seat. And I drove 50 miles from the church. I let the bats go. And as soon as I got home, I dare tell you that they, they beat me back to the church. The third pastor said, well, I don't have any bat problems at all. And the two pastors were like, do tell. What did you do that worked? He said, well... I baptized and confirmed the bat, and they've never been back at church since. <laughs> so I'm glad you guys got it. My wife didn't get it the first time I told her that. One of those preacher jokes. So we're going to talk about the church and how the church is something that's in a way it's mysterious, it's universal. But then the local church is something that in their culture. Some people wrestle with, some people have a hard time coming to church, some people have been hurt by the church, but something I want to give you from this passage as we jump into it is that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and the church is his body. So the church should be the most hopeful place in the world. If we are hope-filled, then we should be hopeful, amen. So Ephesians 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 22. And then we're going to talk about how the church is blessed in so many ways, far beyond what we realize. It says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, made in, flans, made in the flesh by the hands. In other words, he's talking to mostly non-Jewish people, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. So he's talking to predominantly Gentiles. And he said before Jesus encountered you. Before God reached out to you. You really didn't have a whole lot of hope. You didn't have the promises that the Jewish people had. In verse 13 it says. But now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who is made both one. So that's Jew and Gentile, both one now in Christ and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, therefore, putting to death the enmity. And before we read on, that's a. A mouthful, basically what he's saying is because of Jesus, he's bringing the whole world together that receives Christ. No matter what your background, Jew or Gentile, because of Jesus, he brings us together. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to those who were far, far off and those who were near. For through him, talking about through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Aren't you glad we don't have to go through a priest anymore? We can go straight to God. Through Jesus. Now therefore. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. I love that. You're no longer a stranger or foreigner. But you're fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God. Did you guys realize that you're saints. You're members of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, this is your word. I know this text has a lot of truths, and I pray that you would, in the brief time we have together, help us to unpack and understand what your word has to say. We ask and pray your blessing will be upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I'm talking to the church and we're going to talk about the church. And it's interesting, a lot of times I will go to coffee shops, and that's kind of my annex office, I call it. I'll take my laptop, and I'll hear a lot of retirees, different people in the coffee shop. And you know what? One of the number one topic they talk about, besides politics, is their church. And I'll overhear my pastor so-and-so this. And, and I'm like, church is so much a part of our life, and it should be. Because if Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and we are his body, We should bring hope to the world. So the first benefit of being in the church is this. The church, number one, brings hope to the world. Have you ever been the underdog, but yet you had a little glimmer of hope? Uh, Every time I think about this, my mind takes me back to uh, school days. I went to a small private Christian school. Sean over here uh, was in, in the same school. It's good to have you visiting. But we had this tiny school. I mean, literally... Uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, we had, what, like 40, 50 students. But somehow we mustered up a basketball team. And it was a ragtag group of middle school, high schoolers. And we would take on teams that were far superior, bigger schools. You know, if we took on a, a school as big as like Christ School, obviously they would demolish us. But we'd play other Christian schools. And one year we went to state competition. And state competition, you compete against all the other, it was ACE schools and that, that Christian division. And basically, whoever got first or second place would go to internationals, and you'd compete against the best around the world. So we we went to state and played in basketball, and we didn't make first or second place. We actually ranked in the very bottom. But they had this little by clause. that the first or second place team didn't get to go, guess what? The, The underdogs could go and represent the state. So our little ragtag group of basketball team went to state competition. And we were scrimmaging against another team from the state of Florida. Anybody from Florida in here? All right. You guys are amazing. Good hands and good food. And so we played against Florida. The problem is, is they in a scrimmage game, they wiped the floor with us. I mean, we got made look like we shouldn't have been there and we shouldn't have. So we decided, you know what, we're a hopeful bunch. We're gonna get through this. So we decided let's just go to the tournament, let's just give it our all, you know, give the little pep talk. I can visualize Ray Lewis, the football player. Just, Let's do it, guys. Let's go after it. So we played the first team. And somehow, by a divine miracle, I like to say, we beat them. This ragtag, small Christian school beat them. So there were like about 70 teams in single elimination. So all of a sudden, they're down to 32 teams. And the next team we played was from the state of Florida. This is the team that already had demoralized us, and we had no chance. But you know what? We are a bunch of country boys from Asheville. We're like, we're going to do it. We're going to give it all we've got. And we dove for every loose ball. We went for every rebound. And I'll tell you what. The underdog team from the small Christian school beat Florida, and we made it to the Sweet 16. And you know, when I say that, I'm looking at this text. And if you look back in verse 11, it says that you Gentiles... It says that, verse 12, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Jesus Christ. So we went from being hopeless to being hopeful. Just look at the text. There are five blessings that we didn't have. And for those of you, I know we have some Jewish people in the congregation. The thing about the Jewish people, God gave them the promises, and their goal was to evangelize the world, right? But we know from Genesis 12, when God told Abraham to be a blessing, what happened as a whole? They kept the blessing to themselves. So Jesus Christ came and he finished the job that the Jewish people was supposed to do to be a blessing to all the world, to get the gospel out, to preach the gospel to the nations. So before Christ, five basic things. We didn't have a relationship with God. And that's really sad to be without God. No relationship. Number two, we didn't belong to God's people. It says we're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So we didn't have God. We didn't have God, belong to God's people. We didn't have God's promises. It's hard to be hopeful if you don't have a promise, right? And I can just imagine, how many of you have been watching the news lately? Anybody? ABC, Fox, CNN, whatever station. It's not very hopeful, no matter which channel you look at. But you know what? In Christ, we know in the end, he makes it all right. And we don't have to worry about that, right? Number four, we didn't have any true and lasting hope. It says we were without hope. And number five, we didn't have God's presence in our daily lives. It says without God in the world. But something happened. It's the but God clause. We were without hope, but Jesus came to us. Aren't you glad he comes to us? Aren't you glad when you had no glimmer of hope, the hope of the world comes inside of you? So, Christian, if you're a little discouraged today... We all have days of down and depression, and that happens. But I want to to stoke the hope inside of you, that you have hope. Since God changed it all, let me reverse the negative to positive. Now we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now we belong to God's very own family, the church. Now we have inherited great and precious promises. The promises of God are yes and amen. Now we have true and lasting hope. Now we have an active presence, God's presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit. So as the church, we should bring hope back to the world. You know, a lot of times we have slogans. We want to um, make America great again, right? We have certain things. But let me give you a slogan for the church. We need to make hope again. Make people hope again. Because you know what? We're the hope bringers. And if God has instilled hope in you, you should instill hope in others. Those who are hope-filled should also be hopeful. So that's the first benefit of being in the church, that we have hope. Can I get an amen to that. Number two, blessing of being in the church. The church enjoys unity in the midst of diversity. Did you realize sitting in this congregation are all different backgrounds? We have people from no church background, people from church backgrounds. We have people from Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, all different denominations. And you know what I tell people when they say, Timothy, I'm not Baptist or I come from something? I say, well, do you believe the Bible? Yes. Do you believe Jesus Christ? Yes. Come on. You're going to love what's going on at Arden first. Because we teach the Bible and we keep our center focus on Jesus Christ. And we try to avoid these distractions on the side. Many of you have heard of George Whitfield. He was the famous evangelist in the 1700s. And he was a very charismatic speaker. He would show up at certain events. And he would get the crowd going. And, and one time he showed up to Philadelphia, and everyone is shouting on, and they couldn't—they were so excited about preaching. I wish that was still true today, right? You're like—you have to get people riled up sometimes. But that day, people were like, "Preach it!" You know. So George Phil Whitfield came, and uh, he said, uh, there, "There's a story about uh, Father Abraham," and he was given a little illustration. He said, "Father Abraham, are there any Baptists in heaven?" And the audience said, "No." Father Abraham, are there any Methodists in heaven? No. And the people were just getting to a friend's. Are there any Catholics in heaven? No. Well, Father Abraham, who's in heaven? And Father Abraham said, only Christians are in heaven. Only those who have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and have their names written in the book of life. There's no denominations in heaven, only Christians. And then George Whitfield changed it to the people and said, oh, to God, that we could keep our focus on Jesus Not on side issues, not on distractions. If we could just keep our focus on Christ, the world would be a different place. Amen. You know, the thing about unity and diversity, it says that we were Gentiles and we were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. And all of a sudden, God, he breaks down the barriers. He breaks down the walls. And when it says that he took out the wall of separation, most likely this refers to in in the tabernacle, there was actually a wall, many scholars say. That basically had a warning sign to the Gentiles and basically said, keep out. You can't go into this place. If you do, what would happen? You'd be stoned to death, right? And that's like, whoa, could you imagine that? And what happened is when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, whenever he died on the cross, you remember it says that the temple, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And now there's free access into God. Aren't you glad that he broke down the middle wall that separates from God, separates us from each other? And, you know, I think today in the church, there's certain walls that we still need to break down. Jesus Christ has broken down walls, but did you realize sometimes we erect walls where there shouldn't be walls? I'll just give you four, and this is just common in, in churches around the world. Valuing preferences above people. How many churches have you ever been in where a preference is valued above a person? And that causes division. Number two, showing favoritism towards people who are like us, or who we want to be alike. The book of James talks about this. We can't show favoritism. Whether you're rich or poor, young or old, it doesn't matter. You're a brother or sister in Christ. Amen. Number three, and this is so easy to get trapped into, getting sidetracked by non-essentials. As my dad, who's sitting on the front row, always told me over and over, Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't get on side issues. When you get on side issues, you get sidetracked. So we need to break down that wall of getting sidetracked. And this fourth one, um, it was really funny. We, uh, we had a leadership council and staff retreat this weekend. And we went through a chapter about barriers to church growth. And this was one of them that really we, we talked about the past. Loving the past more than we love the present or the future. As a church, may that never be said of us. May we always look forward to the present and the future. May we always look forward to what God is going to do. Whenever God revealed himself... To Moses, who did he reveal himself as? The great I am. You notice he didn't say I was. Of course, God has always was and is and will be. But he says, I am the great I am. In other words, seek me now in the present. I'm going to do something right now where you're at. So these are are some walls that need to come down. We are the body of Christ. And even though we're so different, we come from different political backgrounds, different denominational backgrounds, How we will stay united as a church, it's really simple, is keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to have personal preference. But you know what? We are a church that's on mission for God. We're a church that's wanting to help not just this church, but we want to be a body that's going to help other bodies around the community, around the city, and around the world. Wouldn't that be great if Arden First was a church that helped other churches grow? You know, a lot of times we focus on our own growth. But what would it be like if we helped out other churches, if we became a resource for other churches? Part of our leadership retreat we're talking about is we're kind of dreaming a little bit. what if God blessed this church so much that we had multiple worship teams? So a church down the road didn't have a worship team. We could send out a worship team to help that church. What if, and I asked the, the Buncombe Baptist directory, so there's like at least six, seven churches without a pastor. said, so what if we had a whole group of pastors raised up? So we could supply, pull, put, supply other churches that needed that. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be a church? Wouldn't that be a church that God would want to bless if we had open hands with all the resources He gave us? Amen. Number three, and I love this point: the church now lives under a new promise or a new covenant. Look at verse fifteen. It says, "Having abolished in His flesh, talking about Jesus dying on the cross, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances." So as to create himself one new man from the two, making peace. So here's the picture. You have the old covenant, which means old promise, and you have the new covenant. And what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it says in the book of Colossians, I'll read it to you, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, you were dead because of your old sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut out, cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all of your sins. Now listen to this, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Aren't you glad that all of your sins, all the broken commandments, everything you and I did wrong when you come to Christ, he nails it to the cross. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So the idea is the Old Covenant is different than the New Covenant. And a lot of times as Bible readers, we're like, well, what's the distinction between the Old Testament and New Testament? Well, all the Bible is inspired, but we live under the New Covenant, and let me give you a few parallels here. External differences. The Old Covenant was written in tablets of stone. But the New Covenant is written on your heart. That's, that's one distinction. The Old Covenant was, as, as, it was kind of like a school teacher. Any teachers in here? I know we've got several school teachers. The Old Covenant was a teacher to show you how much you needed a Savior. But the New Covenant is established because the Savior came. And he canceled all the debts and requirements we couldn't fulfill in the law. The Old Covenant, the temple was actual physical building. But in the New Covenant, you are the temple. How about that? We've got a lot of churches walking around in here. A better way. The Old Covenant was intended to bring about life because of man's sinfulness. It actually brought about death. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. But the New Covenant is based upon Christ's perfection. And whenever you receive the free gift... He imparts his righteousness into your account. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ came? So, what's the promise of the new covenant? When it talks about we have this promise, um, what is the promise? Well, the promise is that you now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. No matter what your denominational background is, here's the truth you don't have to go through a priest anymore. I'm so glad because my phone would be ringing off the hook all the time if you needed me to send up a prayer for you. Um, You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You can go straight to God through Jesus Christ. And the good news is all of you have a new destiny. Your old destiny, we read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were dead. But now you're made alive in Christ. The old destiny was you weren't heading anywhere except for Doomsville, but now you're living in Hopesville. God has changed everything, including the trajectory of your life and your destiny. Amen. So you're under God's new promise that God is with you and God is for you. And as I tell my children, God loves you always, forever, no matter what. Number four. Are you getting a little encouraged about being in the church? I don't know about you, but I am. The church experiences divine blessings because of Jesus. Anybody ever heard of Andrew Carnegie? Famous entrepreneur. Well, Andrew Carnegie was the wealthiest man in America. And in that day and time, he, he came from an area, I believe it was Scotland, and he was very poor, and he, basically the American dream, he became very successful. So a news reporter asked him, Mr. Carnegie, how did you become so successful? And he just, you know, was telling him a little about his life and how he had been fortunate to, um, basically the steel manufacturer business, but become successful. And the reporter said, I, we, we found out that you have 43 million, 43 millionaires working for you. Now, how did you recruit 43 millionaires to work for you? And Mr. Carnegie said, basically, they weren't millionaires when they first started. But because of the business, they became successful. And he's like, well, how did you develop them and pay them so well where they became so successful? And I want to read you a quote he said that really stuck to me. He said, these men are developed the same way gold is mined. Whenever gold is mined, several several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. Let me read that again. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes looking for gold. So here's the picture. Before Christ, there was a lot of dirt here. We didn't have anything going for us. But because Jesus moved in through the Holy Spirit, when God moves into your life, He can turn your dirt into something beautiful. Did you realize that? You may look at your life and say, I don't have a lot going, but when God looks at you, he looks at you through the cross. And that's good news because apart from Jesus, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we were dead and we were dying and we were going nowhere, but now we're forgiven. Now we're accepted. Now we're adopted. Now we're loved. Now we have a destiny. We were going nowhere, but now we're going somewhere. We had no purpose, but now we have the ultimate purpose. Living for the glory of God. Every breath we have is a gift. Every moment we have is a moment in history to do something for Him. Church, we're standing on the precipice of something great. The promises of God. And I don't know about you, but I feel like these days we live in could be the last days. And you know what? The church, because we are the body of Christ, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we're His body. So we're to bring hope to the world, through the church. And that just makes me excited. So now when I hear conversations about the church, I'm thinking, okay, that person's is a part of the hope plan. Did you know that you're part of God's hope plan to bring hope to the world? You are his body, and he's going to work through you to bring hope to somebody. And you know what? You may only impact one person, but you know what? That's one life that you change forever. Amen. So it's like the song, count your many blessings, name them, In these few verses we read, Jesus brings us together in unity despite our diversity. Jesus brings peace to our lives even in the midst of conflict. And Jesus grants us access into the presence of God the Father. Aren't you glad that you have access into the most powerful person in the universe, God the Father? You may never have access to a dignitary in this world, but you have access to Almighty God the Father. And you can go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. And finally, the church. Can I hear someone say the church? All right, you guys are awake now. All right. <laughs> it functions as God's very own household. Let's let's read verses 19 through 22 on your outline. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So what would it be like if every church in the world functioned like a family? Like God's very own household. Wouldn't that be different? Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if churches didn't feel like businesses, but they actually felt like families? Wouldn't that be a great experience that you went, and it's kind of like every family has a mom and a dad, and in a church you have that family feel. It feels like they actually care for you and love you. And I'll just use Betty Moody as an example, and uh, she can... Pick on me later. But she, she's kind of like a mom in the church. She loves on everybody. She's, Betty, I'm talking about you. <laughs> she's been here for, I think, over 50 years. And part of what keeps people sticking and coming back is Betty loves on them. And you know what? We should love on each other. Every time you come into a, a life group, a Sunday school class, a worship service, it should feel like you're coming home to mama's house. This is God's household. I love that that imagery of this is God's house. You know, we didn't have a lot going for us before Christ, but now we're a family, and we're heading to the same destination together to be together forever with God. And that's a beautiful picture. Many of you have heard of Matthew Henry; he's a famous commentator. The thing that you may not know about him, Matthew Henry uh, came from in this day and time. People had social classes, which I don't, I don't like, and I'm thankful they don't have that anymore. I would have been in trouble. Um, But he came from a very low economic social class, and I believe it was in the Europe area. And basically, um, he fell in love with this girl, but she was from the nobility. And in that day and time, if you didn't have change, you couldn't couldn't marry someone in the nobility. So Matthew Henry, his bride-to-be, basically was going to her father, and she asked if she could marry Matthew. And listen to what her father said. He's got no background and you don't know where he's come from. But then her being madly in love says, yes, father, I know, but I know where he's going and I want to go with him. You know, church, we we can relate with Mr. Henry. We may not have much of a background. We may not have a lot going for us, but you know what? If you have Jesus inside of you, you have the hope of the world. And Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. And if we are his body, we are to be hope bringers to the world. Notice you now belong. It says you are a stranger, you're a foreigner. Aren't you glad you're no longer a stranger? You're no longer a foreigner. But you're part of God's family. You're members of God's household. On a practical note, whenever someone comes to visit a local church, you notice the members, it's kind of like your own house you serve because... You're part of the membership, but when a guest comes, they're to be served. It works that way in a household as well as in a church. So if you're a guest today, you should feel served and loved. The members pay for the bill, but the guests come for free, and that's the way it is in a church. Uh, the members serve. And speaking of which, on your listening guide, I, I listed several serve teams, and I'm going to encourage all of you. I, I challenge my young adult class. Uh, to take a spiritual gifts test. It's there on, on your outline, and it's free. It takes about 20 minutes to do. Some of you may take 30. But this is going to identify some of your, your spiritual leanings. And um, several of my class, we talked about their gifts. Some were gifted in administration, and I'm like, we can use you at the church. Some are gifted in teaching. And I'm like, as, as they're, they're going through their gifts, I'm like, you know what? You're so gifted. And you never feel most alive until you're serving in the gifts that God's given you. Amen? So that's your homework, by the way. You didn't know you were going to get homework at church, but there you go. So this is, a, this is something I want you guys to think and take with you as we close, or take home truth, is Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And if the church is his body, which it is, you know what? We're to be the most hopeful people in the world. Now that we are hope-filled, let us be hopeful And as people come into this place, and as people come into our churches around the community and around the world, even in this world of conflict and chaos and all the stuff going on with politics, everything in the world, the church is the place of hope because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father, I love your word, and I'm so honored the opportunity just to speak your word. And God, my prayer for each person here is that God, if someone's not in the church, in other words, if they've never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would say, you know what, all these blessings of being in the church, I, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Would there be anyone here with no one looking around that would say, Timothy, I've never prayed to receive Christ. If that's you, I, I just want you to slip up your hand. No one looking around, I want to pray for you, anyone at all, I need to receive Christ. For the rest of us who are Christians... Help this be our prayer. Father, Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. He's not just a hope. He's the only true and lasting hope. I pray as Christians, we would be hope-filled and it would result in being hopeful each and every day. And it's not to say we won't have struggles. It's not to say people don't suffer with depression or sickness. But God, we of all people should have hope. And Father, I thank you that we have this in Christ. If there be one here today that's never received Christ, right where you're at, just pray in your own words, Jesus, I want to enter into the family. I've been a stranger for far too long. I've been a a creation, but I've never been a son or a daughter of God. And Jesus, I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would step out of heaven and into my life. I invite you into my heart, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we thank you that we of all people are hopeful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.